and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and chavrita Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ketubot, daf Tzadi, page 90. Uh, before we get going, I just want to dedicate today's learning and really all the learning all of us do going forward for the foreseeable future to the health, the immediate health, Refuesh Lema, to our co-learner, Noah Bat Tova. She has been with us from the beginning, um, and I think that I first thought that we might actually have an audience and and a crew to join us in learning when Noah um, commented on one of my early, early Facebook shares of the episode at the very beginning that she was learning with us and that she was getting something out of it. And I remember saying to your Dana, if Noah is with us, we are good. Um, Noah needs our tefillot and our learning in her on her behalf. Um, and she is a powerhouse. And I don't want to, I don't want to say more because I, I, I want to say, well, there are many people in this world who need our prayers and our mitzvot and our dedication to them. Um, we're releasing this episode on Erev Yom Kippur, and I just want to say that it's an intense time, and please God, our prayers and our learnings will storm the heavens for the health of Noah Batova and really anybody else that you want to add to this list at this um, at this poignant and hopefully auspicious time where the gates of heaven are open. Yardena, over to you. Well, uh, we're going to finish up uh, Perak and start a new Perak. Uh, and to finish up this Perak, we have a last Mishnah here. Katan Aviv. So let's say we have a case of a minor who was married off by his father. Kitubata Kayemet. The wife's Kituba is, uh, is basically considered to be valid, right? Even though it's a minor who wrote it, right? And it's still valid even after that husband comes of age. In other words, the husband isn't allowed to say that, you know, uh, that, you know, he was a minor and therefore the ketubah doesn't count. Al minat kain kimu. Because it's on this condition that he sort of maintain her even when he reads, you know, when he becomes, uh, when he becomes an adult. So it's not like he can get out of the ketubah and say, well, I was forced into it or I did this as a minor. Right? If we have a convert um, whose wife converted with him, also her marriage contract that she had as a, as a non-Jew, so this is very interesting, it's also considered valid, because again, when he stayed married to her, it was on the condition that he would maintain her as he did as her wife. So two very interesting halachot that essentially the ketubah, you know, sort of grows with a person. Either if you started off as a minor and then became an adult, or if you changed, right? You had some type of ketubah as a non-Jew, and then, you know, that marriage contract changed. So I find this mission to be interesting because it shows us that this concept of marriage contracts must have been around in other cases uh, a- as well. You know, like, in other words, this wasn't just necessarily a Jewish, uh, you know, innovation. Uh, the Gemara here is, you know, very, very short till we get to the end of the uh, of the parak. Um, and it basically says, Amarav Huna, lo shanu time, tosefet la. So Rav Huna says, this basically only applies this halacha with the minor, with a straightforward ketubah of the 200 ma'atayim zoos. But if there was any additional sum, 
that would not be included. Rav Yehuda says, no, even if she had the additional sub, it would be included as well. The Gemara is going to go back and forth and discuss this, but I just want to point out right at the end, the conclusion of that discussion is, it says, Rav Yehuda matninan adatu, right? The Rav Yehuda actually sort of misread the Mishnah and sort of concluded something incorrectly. Who savar? What did he think? Her marriage contract is valid. Akula milsakai. So he thought it meant the all of it, the entire one. Vilaki aikar kitubakai. But that's not so. When it says kitubata, it means that it's referring to the actual main kituba. So it's just interesting to see the Gemara sort of say that like it's possible that an Amora sort of misread the Mishnah. And that when they were using the word ketubah, the word ketubah in the Mishnah just means the standard generic ketubah of the Matayim, not a ketubah that had something special in it. And so with that, we conclude uh, the ninth parak, Hadron and now we will begin the tenth parak. So uh, the tenth parak begins with the following Mishnah. So a little bit sounding Yavamosi, but okay. Somebody who's married to two women, right? The mate, and he dies, okay? So the first woman basically collects her payment on her ketubah uh, before the second one. And the heirs of the first wife, right, get their inheritance before the heirs of the second wife in collecting um in collecting uh, those payments. Now, again, the reason for this is, is because the first ketubah is dated earlier than the second ketubah, and so that's the legal document that needs to be fulfilled first. Nasata rishonava meta, if he married a first woman and she dies, nasashniyahumate, who? And then he marries a second woman and he dies, shniyah kodmin harishona. The second wife and her heirs precede the wives of the first heirs. Now, the reason for this is because the marriage contract of the second wife, the ketubah of the second wife, that's considered to be the debt that his estate actually has to pay when he dies. But the claim, any claim that the heirs of the first wife have is based on a claim from the ketubah that they sort of inherited from their from their mother, the first wife. So um, the heirs only would get their share once his actual estate was settled, and that settlement includes that he needs to actually, uh, you know, settle with his with his second wife first. Um, so the Gemara starts, you know, off with the following: teaching midikatani, right? From the fact that it teaches harishona kodemelashnia that the first precedes the second, vilakatani harishona yeshla vahashnia einla, and it doesn't teach that the first one has a right and the second one does not have a right. So we learn from inference that if the second preceded the first and seized property, in other words, she wanted to make sure she got her ketubah, so she took some property worth its value, we don't actually take it from her because she still has some rights. It's not when we say kodemet, the idea is, is that they have rights, but the first wife has sort of like her her rights take precedence. But the second one still has some rights. And so from this, the Gemara says, 
So what we really learn from the Mishnah is this principle. A creditor, the Baal Chol, Chob, right, who holds of a milchar of a later date than the other one, and but preceded the other creditors to, to collect his debt, whatever collected, he collected. So yes, even though in general we try to do the older debt to pay it off first, but still, if you were owed a debt, you were owed a debt. And if you pay it off, if you collect on it first, it's still okay if you collect it on. Gamar is going to go through this uh, a, a little bit more um, and try to say, you know, try to exactly work out how does this work with the with the um, uh, with the creditors. Um, but what they basically conclude uh, at the end here is right. Tananami, now I'm at the top of Amabet, right? That when it says the first woman precedes the second, right? It's not talking about really uh, what prop, you know, that it doesn't get into details or a lot of discussion about that the property would sort of be taken from the second if she were to take her payment. So I, 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 I skipped over a big chunk of the Gemara here, but the point the Gemara is making here is that it's the second one still has rights to her property. Um, and so I think what the Gemara is trying to say here is that, you know, these ketubas, and the Mishnah actually, is that these ketubas had to be paid. Now, I think it's also interesting to see this because this is one of these Mishnahs that really reflects that the practice of polygamy still took place. Uh, as we know, that practice of polygamy uh, wasn't outlawed until Takanat Rabbeinu Gershom in the year around 1000. Uh, but, you know, again, just from his historical sociological point of view, pay attention to this mission because it is, you know, sort of an acknowledgement of polygamy that did take place. Okay, I'm going to pick this up on Ahmed Bet, um, where the Gemara really delves into the case from the Mishnah. Uh, this is, so that's the citation from the Mishnah. We learn from this three, we learn, <coughs> excuse me, we learn from this three different principles, namely, so one of the these conclusions, right, is that if the man's one of his wives, he's got two wives, one dies during his lifetime and the other dies after his death, then the sons of the first wife who died during his lifetime are entitled to collect the ketuba, um, and at least with regard to the male children. And we're not worried, and I find this very interesting vocabulary, we're not worrying that they're going to come to fight, that there's not going to be any any disagreement or quarreling. I've seen this translated. I think of Lintuye as fistfights, but that we're not going to worry about um, quibbling over who's in line to get the inheritance because that lineup is clear. Mimai. So the Gemara wants to know, how do we know this? Because the it teaches that the second wife and her heirs take precedence to the heirs of the first wife, and therefore you can you can understand that if the second wife and her heirs take precedence over the heirs of the first wife, then you understand that they also precede those heirs of the first wife, except for if there's enough, um, the state is large enough to cover everybody, then that's when the children of the first wife would also get their, the return or whatever of the dowry that their mother brought into the marriage. So the idea that, I, I think it's interesting, first of all, that we're talking first about 
um, the sons of the first wife, right? What is this? That's when the sons of the first wife, the male sons, I guess male is sons, pardon me. The sons of the first wife are entitled to get the ketubah, and we're not worried that it's going to lead to quarreling because we're all automatically already talking about a situation where the estate is large enough to cover everybody because otherwise there would be quarreling, presumably. Okay, next point, the next conclusion. We can also conclude that the one marriage contract becomes motar, like a surplus for the other. What does that mean? When So basically, Chazal explained that each child, each son, can claim from the ketubah only once the they know that the value of the entire estate is larger than the sum of the two ketubot, because of the two wives, and it has to be by at least one dinar. This is called motar dinar. We'll, excuse me, motar dinar. We'll talk about this further tomorrow. But the idea here is that the that's how we deal with this um, order of inheritance, right? That the you first have to make sure that the ketubot are covered, and only then do you talk about any anything that goes beyond that, anything that is surplus, right? in the assessment of the entire estate entire estate um and then and that's exactly and your data this is what you explained right that the what the the ketubot are treated as a debt that the estate owes to the respective heirs given the again this hierarchy of who gets to take when me my and of course the Gemara wants to know how do we know that this is really a, a valid conclusion Sham motar dinar. The Gemara says, "Well, hello." It teaches, right? It doesn't say if there is motar dinar, right? The very fact that it does not say if there is motar dinar, dinar is going to teach us that you don't get to motar dinar. You don't get. I'm sorry. You don't get to inherit until you know that there's a surplus. And the mission is talking about a more bare bone case, more bare bones case than that. And lastly, Ushmamina Ketubat Benin Dichrin Lo Tarfa Mimashab Day. Right? So the third point is that if you're collecting the payment for the Ketubah, and now you're talking about the male children, he cannot take, he cannot um, take possession of property that has a lien on it, meaning the father then sold property to somebody else, a third party, who has no, a, a fifth party, an eighth party, right? Somebody who has nothing to do with this complicated family. And then you, in theory, somebody collecting a debt could eventually go to that person and say, okay, I have the rights to this because that man owes me money. In this case, yeah, um, he can't do that. Because if you would think that, if it would enter your mind, right, that that would be the case, you could come to take what you want as your inheritance or the the ketubah or the extra, the surplus, right, from any property that had a lien on it, then that should happen from, then you would think that the children, the sons of the first wife would come and repossess whatever the second wife's sons have already inherited. Meaning at some point you have to say, this is the, this is the line of succession. This is the line of, of inheritance. And at some, and you don't get to say, well, but I'm entitled to it too. So I'm going to come take it from you. The first son, no, let me say this better. The sons of the second wife would be treated as the buyer, let's say, and the first sons would be able to come and take 
from them. Since we say they can't do that, therefore, um, none of these sons can go and take from some other other customer, other buyer from the father's land. Now, Ravashi doesn't like this. We've got some, you know, dispute about this going forward. Um, but, but basically, I think that's, you know, that's the, the gist of these three points that we learned from it. Go And yes, there's going to be more, as I said, on Motar Dinar going forward. What is the surplus? What does it mean to have a surplus um, in the inheritance? I would wager that most people, I don't know most people, I can't do anything statistical here, but the idea that a person would die with more to his name in terms of possessions than simply the amount of a ketubah, or for that matter, two ketubot, I think it does stand to reason. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this DAF. Thank you to Rebbe Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.